Chains, a counterpoint to A Christmas Carol, written and read by Ian Hales. Chapter 9. Clasped. Marley looked up and saw that it was the white lady that he'd met in the green room. She had her bag slung around her shoulders with three or four books from the shelves stuffed into them. I feel sure that I should know your name, she said. Mr. Marley, said Marley. Of course. The lady frowned for a moment and then brightened. If she'd not actually remembered who Marley was, she had at least the grace to make a good show of looking like she had. I don't suppose you know who I am, she asked. When Marley shook his head, she looked a little crestfallen, but simply replied, No, <laughs> of course not. And then, indicating the book in her hand, said, Are you taking this out or returning it? Oh, um, no, Marley said, and clumsily took the book from the white lady, attempted to put it back on the shelves, fumbled and misjudged it, and let it clatter to the floor. The white lady swooped down upon it, and placed it carefully back onto the shelf. It angrily ruffled its pages back and forth at her for a moment, eventually settling back to the place that was currently being written. Oh, now you've done it, she said, not entirely unkindly. You'll have one of the librarians down on us now for sure. The white lady looked around into the darkness, prompting Marley to follow suit. He could see in the distance lights, from what he presumed to be other candles, faintly bobbing about amongst the shelves like will-o'-the-wisps. One of these lights was notable in the fact that it seemed to be coming towards them. The white lady cursed at this development. Am I to take it, she said, that you haven't permission to be in the library of all souls? I was simply trying to find somewhere quiet, said Marley. Well, at least you got that bit right, said the lady. Look, I can't have a lot of fuss and kerfuffle right now. It's my entrance any moment. Can't you just apport yourself somewhere? I'm sorry, said Marley. No, I should imagine you can't, said the white lady. She looked over her shoulder at the candle flame bobbing ever nearer. Revealed in its light, Marley could see a mature, neat lady ghost with her hair up in a severe bun and a look on her face of extreme annoyance. The white lady took her bags off her shoulder placed them down on the ground and held her hands out to Marley. Give me your chains, she said. The ends. Marley scrabbled about, found two ends of the chains and handed them to her. This is not the ideal solution, she said. Just remember to try and look pretty and whatever you do, do not look down. There was a crafty smile on the lady's face when she said this last and Marley fancied that she may have winked. But he had no time to ruminate on this or any other further question, for suddenly he had the queerest feeling throughout his entire body. It was like his whole being was effervescing, yet, and at the same time, there was a gentle pressure all over him, getting more and more every moment. And then it happened. One moment he was looking into the eyes of the delicate white lady, and then with a pop she seemed to rush forward towards him until she had filled the entirety of his vision. Marley started at this sudden change of perspective, but had no time to get used to things, as he was aware that his perspective was changing again. He was being turned around, away from the lady. He looked along his chain. It now extended out 
either side of him and away. It had taken on an odd, glittery quality and looped up into the air above him. He was suspended by it, and the room had undergone a massive change. The ceiling was now some very great distance away, and the shelves had taken on massive proportions. Very comely, he heard the white lady say. At this he felt his back butt up to something, and the chains hitch a couple of times before settling. The surface that he'd landed on was slightly warm to the touch and soft, with a gentle curve that accommodated his form most pleasurably. Whatever place he'd been spirited away to by the lady, he could not fathom, but it was dashed comfortable, and he could see no immediate reason not to look down, as the lady had instructed. Why, what could he possibly see that would... Marley snapped his head up, suddenly realising his position. "'I can feel you blushing. <laughs> You're getting warmer.' said the lady. I did ask you not to look down, and if you would try not to um, drop that candle. <laughs> Marley gripped onto the candle holder tighter and tried to take in his circumstances. He had been shrunken down to the size of a pea, and the white lady had hung him around her neck like a piece of jewellery. He was lying against her skin and was desperately trying not to think of words like alabaster, porcelain, or peach. He stared straight ahead so as not to catch the glance of the hills and valleys that formed her chest. He clung to his chain tightly, as he was now very aware of how low-cut and diaphanous her garment was, and the danger of plunging down into that crevasse below. To make matters worse, the candle and its holder had not been shrunken down at the same rate as himself. In fact, the proportion between Marley and the candle had been reversed rather severely, now it was almost larger than he was, and he was forced to hold on to it with both hands so as not to let it fall away and onto her dress. Madam, he began. His voice had taken on a curious tinny quality and was several tones higher than normal. Quiet, said the white lady sharply. Marley soon saw why, as the ghostly librarian floated into view. She moved without a sound, as the lower half of her torso and legs vanished away into nothingness, drifting like some piece of lace flotsam in a dark and silent ocean, she came to a stop a few paces away from the white lady. Her head inclined to one side in an indication of inquiry. Marley felt the white lady shift and move under him as she patted the bags at her side. She replied in a whisper, My background research, she said. For the redemption, I'm returning it. The librarian flinched and started back a little, her hands flying to her ears as if in great pain. She scowled at the white lady, and by default Marley, brought one finger to her lips and uttered a that cut through him like a stab of ice through the heart. He also fancied that he saw the features of the old lady shift a little into that of a snarling ogre and then melt back. If you're quite finished, said the white lady, albeit even quieter than before. She rummaged about in her bags, which gave cause to Marley swinging away from her body, and then when she stood up, as quietly as possible, Marley swung back into place with a slight thump. He had to swallow back a cry of surprise, surmising that the librarian, if she be so sensitive to sound, would no doubt hear even the tiniest of outcries. And then it was done. The books were back in the librarian's hands, and the white lady, 
made her way back to the staircase as she whispered at Marley. Most inconvenient, she said. I should have left you to the mercies of the librarians. They can be very insistent. Still, no use crying over what's past, I suppose. No, you really shouldn't have been down here. When she'd reached the bottom of the stairs, she wet the tips of her thumb and forefinger with a little spit, nipped out the flame on the candle and placed it on the table. Still, no harm done, I suppose, she continued. I'll just get her out of the sight of them and get you back to your normal size and then... A voice crackled into life all around them. Time is passing. Time is fleeting. The black crackled voice rung out and down into the library. There was a second of silence and then, as one, the librarians cried out in pain. Now we're for it, said the white lady, and quickened her pace on the stairs considerably. Marley was forced to keep tight hold of the candle in case it fell from his grip. There was a rushing sound behind them as if a hundred silken sheets were suddenly flapping and tearing in a great wind. The white lady made it to the top of the stairs and turned on her heels suddenly. Time to journey backwards to our latter days of yours. What are you doing? called Marley, his tinny voice ringing in his own ears. He looked down at the stairwell that they'd just exited. He saw that the whole of the passage was choked up with the forms of many librarians, all alternately clawing and grasping and holding onto their ears. What is past can't be rewritten. No longer the buttoned-up old spinsters of the basement, they had transformed. Hideous gargoyles of creatures they were now, with spare skin stretched over animal snarling bones. They scratched and pulled at each other, the sound of tearing, rustling paper accompanying their every murderous move. Can't be concealed and can't be hidden. Slowly but steadily, the revenants were making their way up the stairwell towards Marley and the White Lady, each of them with murder in their eyes. Our beginnings are what lie within our very core. The White Lady swung the door to the stairwell shut in the faces of the harpies. Only this. And nothing more. There was a mad scratching for a moment that then subsided and was replaced by the sound of tutting, retreating from the door. Well, that was a close one, said the white lady. I'll say it was, said a voice from behind Marley and his saviour. What, pray tell, did you do to upset the keepers of all souls? Marley knew the voice at once. It was Linton. The white lady turned around so quickly that Marley was jostled about on her person somewhat violently. He hid behind the candle, which against all odds had not gutted out as best he could. Linton was staring right at him. He could see her through the flame. He thought it highly unlikely that were he to be given any great amount of attention that the subterfuge would survive any great length of time. As it was... Linton looked up into the face of the white lady without even a modicum of recognition for the dangling Marley. He held on as tight as he could and as best as he could, hid behind the candle in its flame. Didn't you hear the call? asked Linton of the white lady, whilst not with affection, but with something approaching warmth that Marley had never encountered in his previous dealings with her. Yes, dear, um, uh, oh, Linton! said the white lady, suddenly full of busy energy and striding off past her down a corridor. My entrance, I believe? What would we do without you? Such a treasure. I'm just on my way. No need to escort me, my dear heart. It's no bother, said Linton, who rather quickly fell into step alongside the white lady. It's been one of those days and I don't need any more problems. 
Old Ben's getting in touch with some higher authority to try and force us to put him back on the bill somehow. Sir Simon is hiding in a toilet, alternately throwing up and begging us not to have him go on. And I've got a topside howler who nearly cost us the whole gig gone rogue. Is that so? Marley could tell that the white lady was trying hard to outpace Linton by the frequency of his own bouncing against her breastbone. Yes, said Linton. Great self-important buffoon he is. You were talking to him earlier. Was I? asked the white lady. In the green room, said Linton. Marley began to imagine that she perhaps had seen him dangling around the white lady's neck after all. Great way-faced thing he is. All full of his own sins. Wears them like a medal. You know me, the white lady said. No memory for faces at all, way-coloured or otherwise. They entered another stage space. It was all Marley could do not to gasp. Whereas the other settings that they'd encountered had been rather rudimentary in their construction, this was a thing of beauty. It was more like a diorama than a stage set, for it resembled nothing more than a grand, stylized model of Scrooge's house, the surrounding streets, and London beyond. Each building on its own was just a construction of card, but as a collection they built up into something approaching art. It wasn't simply a topographical representation either, as it was clear that the artist had made Scrooge's house, with its high shuttered windows and grey slate roof, the focus of the design. It was extruded to a height way above its neighbours in the real world, and pulled and twisted until it bent and loomed into the figure of Scrooge himself. The buildings beside it fell away and became smaller and smaller until they were just painted pictures of the roofs of houses on a large cloth that covered the entirety of the stage area. At the back of the playing area, this cloth swooped back and up into the dusty beyond, though it was not simply painted with a continuation of the map below, nor, as one might expect, with a representation of the sky, rather... The lines and curves of streets and roads became swooping curves and curlicues that swooped in and out of each other until the whole mass of them coalesced into two words. The past, rendered in grand and gothic penmanship. Marley wished that he could turn just a little to take in the whole of this sight in one, but knew that were he to move, then Linton would surely notice. No, of course said Linton to the white lady. Wrong person to ask, really. <laughs> I'll let you get on. But if either Marley or the white lady were expecting Linton to move off at this, then they were to be sorely disappointed, for she stood, the ever-present clipboard under one arm, and idly scratching at the bandage that covered her wrist, for all the world as if she had nothing better to do with her time. Don't let me keep you, she added, as the white lady had given no indication that she might move any time soon. Oh, no, I won't, the white lady replied with a little less certainty than before. It was just as she gathered herself back together and was about to step towards the set when Linton delivered her coup de grace. As a phrase, it seemed innocent enough. In fact, it was innocent enough. You could not accuse these two words of bearing any subtext in the slightest, but, as is often with the case in such things, by their sure simplicity, by their undeniable ordinariness, 
By their very virtue, they hung in the air accusingly like two crows, whistling sinlessly in a convent rookery. Lovely necklace, she said. Marley felt the white lady freeze in her advancement towards the stage, and then, to his horror, he realised she was turning back to Linton. No, 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 he wanted to cry. Just go on, walk away from her. Don't, whatever you do, go back to... Marley peeped round the flickering flame of the oversized candle and saw Linton slap-bang in front of him. Peering down, he froze, as stock-still as he could, knowing that the jig was up, and any moment he would be snatched from his resting place. He wanted to crawl, run, hide, somewhere, anyway, away from the steady gaze of the stage manager. Yet he remained as inert as he could, and tried not to breathe, willing himself to the very last, to avoid detection. It seemed to work. For Linton, rather out of character for her, he thought, smiled, then looked up and back at the white lady. Ah, a fat little cherub holding a candle, she said. It's quite nice, is that? Marley bit back his indignation. Fat little cherub! Yes, said the white lady. Careful, it's a real candle. Linton's finger was hovering just in front of Marley. Gigantic it was, and poised perfectly just to idly flick at him and the candle. He could see every pit and wall in the skin, blotted and splashed with ink like a map of some yet undiscovered world. The fingernails were nicked and broken at the ends, and under each of them was dirt. Yet the smell that filled the air around him, and warmed by the candle, was not foul but fair. It told of dew on heather and gorse, clean wet peat and dry stonework, muck and passion. The finger withdrew. "'You'll be late,' said Linton. "'I'm not sure I can be.' said the white lady, as at last she hurried towards the stage with urgency, causing Marley to rattle about on his chain something terrible. Showtime, she said, with undisguised excitement, and the curtain began to rise, then adding under her breath, Hold on tight, cherub, you're my little stowaway now. Come, let's go visit the land of if-only. Chains, a counterpoint to a Christmas carol, is a production of the Dark Side of the Spoon podcast. Its copyright is to Ian Hales, so share it as much as you like, but don't copy it and don't claim it's yours. That would be really naughty, and Krampus might come and get you if you do that. Why not go and join the Chains, a counterpoint to a Christmas carol group, or indeed the Dark Side of the Spoon group on Facebook? Get involved, tell us what you think, and... See you later on the dark side of the spoon.